0: A quick legal update.
1: This is Wheel Life. Legal reflections on vulnerable road users. The podcast where two experienced lawyers, who also happen to be enthusiastic cyclists, chat their way through topics concerning cyclists and other vulnerable road users from a legal and insurance perspective.
0: Hello and welcome to this edition of Wheel of Life. I'm Emily Thornby of Thirty Nine F Chambers.
1: And I'm Caroline Hall of DAC Beechcroft Solicitors. Hi Caroline, how are you? It's been a while since we've had a chat. It is, and we're here for a quick, snappy
0: legal update. Because we have a private e-scooter case that has been part heard in Central London County Court. And it is one of the very first, if not the first, private e-scooter cases that has not yet had a judgment. There has been two days in court and submissions to be heard in the new year, but it centres around some of our favourite topics, potholes, e-scooters, and the use of private scooters on public roads. And it's the case of Drago, London Borough of Barnet.
1: Yeah, I don't know if potholes are necessarily my favourite topic, but as we all know, e-scooters are. So do you want to run through this one? What we know of the facts, because at the moment, this is obviously reported in papers and, I th- and a, a bit of third-hand knowledge, but what do we know about this case so far?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's fair to say the first thing is this is not a case that is yet concluded, so it's still an ongoing trial. And therefore, what's been reported in the papers, as in the public information, is relatively limited. But it was heard over two days at the end of November 2022 in Central London County Court before his other judge Jan Lever Casey. It's been adjourned for final submissions, which I understand are sometime in January. And he knows how soon or long after that the judgment will come. But essentially, the claim is brought by a woman who, I think was in her 20s at the time of the accident, Giovanna Drago. She is of Brazilian descent and had come to the UK shortly before her accident, which is a couple of years ago in October 2020. And she bought a new scooter from Amazon, and at the time, her cases, she didn't realise that it came with quite considerable restrictions on how it could or couldn't be used. She was on her e-scooter on a highway, on a road, wearing a safety helmet but made knee pads. It was dark. She was going at what she says at a moderate speed. So she said rising safely and correctly, but hit the pothole that she couldn't see. E-scooter went into the pothole. She had an accident and broke her left knee. Her claim is for £30,000. I don't know how that is calculated, but of course that is a claim rather than any settled amount. And London Borough Barnet are defending it on liability in full. She accepted that in fact, what she was doing with an ego, but she didn't know. and um, She'd only driven it a couple of times before her accident. She'd come from Brazil where the different regulations. She wasn't aware of the kind of history of the East, with the saga in the UK. She didn't read any documents telling her not to mind it but probably wouldn't have understood them anyway. Her English wasn't great. But London Borough are essentially defending it on the, I say the traditional highways claim defence. So no breach of Section 41 or Section 58 defence. So essentially either the pothole wasn't a danger or if it's a proven danger they'd taken all the Section 58 defence steps to inspect and make it safe. So I suppose the ambit of the claim is, it's perfectly possible for a resolution of the claim in one way or another without going down the illegality pathway at all. But it is there for the taking, so to speak, should the judge or the evidence or the argument point that way.
1: So when the accident happened back in October 2020, there was no e-scooter trials running in London at that point. They started in the rest of the country, but it took a lot longer for them to start in London. So as a result, any e-scooters that were flying around on the streets in London at that point were all illegal ones. There was no formal trial in place. So if she'd have seen people out and about, they would have been also on illegal e-scooters.
0: Well, to be fair, I'm not sure what her evidence is on that point, whether she did or not. Certainly, she said she didn't know that what she was doing at the time was illegal. And I suppose if it just goes down that pathway it could be a sort of consideration of how good is the information that comes with a purchased scooter because obviously it was a private e-scooter and we know that should come with a certain amount of information about what you can and can't do and so there could be some consideration of that.
1: I suppose I was just trying to flag that it was a lot clear well not a lot clearer at that point but the only scooters out there whereas now especially in Bristol there's a mix of everything you've got the legal and the illegal ones and the same in london now from the government trials onwards but at that point in london yeah
0: yeah no that is a good point i mean but in a way it'd be interesting to almost try and cast one's mind back to what the consciousness of these goodness was at all and of course that would be during lockdown around the lockdown time as well so perhaps less visibility of people in that house and about in general
1: well the whole knowledge point the Met Police and other police forces have put out their Christmas warning again this year, which they've put out last year and probably back in twenty twenty as well, to remind people that buying a e-scooter for somebody for Christmas isn't the wonderful commuting system they think it is because they do still remain illegal. So that's a knowledge point that they definitely did in twenty twenty one and I've seen it in twenty twenty two reminding people because the marketing isn't out there when they're sold on.
0: I mean I suppose October twenty 2020- twenty Either that It might be a little early for the police to put their Christmas message out and that sort of level of documentation or where the responsibility lies on the vendor is something that we've looked at before and that kind of sense of where enforcement lies. The whole subject could be avoided entirely because the London Borough of Barnet are saying that they had a good inspection routine in the regime and it was a road that was well used, I think, either in a park or near a park or whatever and the citizenship were quite active in pointing things out if there had been problems. So not only did they have a regular inspection regime if they're required to either way, there were also calls made if something did go wrong to which they responded very quickly. So they say no danger here or adequate defence. And the interesting to see whether it goes down that pathway at all. But, you know, it's intriguing and it's good to know Judge Luba may be the first to tackle this issue that we've been waiting for. And um, whether it triggers a storm or whether it doesn't, we shall, I guess, I have to wait and see.
1: Yeah, we can look at that in the new year. And the other case that we've just flagged up to have a little chat on is with regard to an e cycle case. Absolutely. Why don't you tell us about that? This is a High Court case from Manchester involving an e cyclist seeking damages. And the trial was heard on the 1st of February, so a while ago now. But it was just heard in relation to liability. Rather than going straight to what the finding was, just going through the accident circumstances. The claimant was riding his e-bike on his way to work when he was hit by an oncoming vehicle whilst he was making a right-hand turn across its lane. So being a vehicle that is making a right-hand turn is, as we know, if you're a driver, is fraught with peril if you're turning across somebody's path and coming in the opposite direction and you bear the responsibility if you're turning right to make sure that your path is clear. And we've got an e-cyclist here who's decided to turn across oncoming traffic. So despite the finding that the cyclist was wearing a high visibility jacket at the time, the driver of the vehicle, so the defendant, maintained that he was driving within the speed limit, albeit close to it, and he'd just not seen the claimant until he was immediately in front of his vehicle due to the dazzling effect of the low-lying sun, which I think we're all experiencing quite a lot of at the moment. And that was directly in front of him. So as a result, he didn't see the claimant. It was at this time that the defendant maintained that he had applied his brakes to avoid the collision, so when he saw the claimant at that last moment as he was turning. So it was one where liability was strongly contested throughout, and with a case like this, with a vehicle turning, you generally see offers being made to try and split liability. But apparently in this case, no offers had actually been made to split liability between the parties. So after hearing the evidence of both the parties, his honour judge Sefton Casey at that point held that the risk posed by the dazzling sun was clear and obvious and that the defendant should have reduced his speed or even stopped altogether as advised by the highway code, as in he should have altered his driving to make sure that were there any hazards in his path, whether or not it was going to be turning across him or the road in front of him, that he should have been able to stop. Going back to what I said earlier, he was within the speed limit, albeit close to it, so that doesn't imply that he's changed his speed. And with the assistance of some experts that were instructed by the claimant's solicitors, his honour accepted that the defendant had not seen the claimant and had not applied the vehicle brakes himself. The vehicle's automatic braking system had actually identified the claimant as a hazard before the driver did. So that does imply as well that he hadn't seen him because of the dazzling sunshine, but the car had picked up on the claimant itself. So as a result of the accident, the claimant sustained severe injuries. So the finding in the case was that The claimant was awarded 25% of the full value of his claim, so therefore 75% responsible for the accident because of his turning right across the path of the defendant driver.
0: I think what's interesting about this case is obviously there's no illegality here, it's a road traffic accident, but it does give a hint about the way in which e-bikes might be slightly different from bikes, not least because of their sort of pedal power. I mean, if you take out, and the thing that staggered you about this case was that there was a bike turning right in front of a car. And on the one hand, I'm sure there's a misjudgment. Nobody, I mean, the cars turn all the time and have accidents as well or pedestrians and so forth. But here with a bike, whether there's an element of with a bike and you've got a bit of vavavoo vu when you push your pedal down, then you actually think you're going to be able to get across quicker than you might. Or it might just have been a catastrophic misjudgment. But it's interesting because you've got an electronic bike being hit by the vehicle. And I suppose the other thing is it was a sufficient obstacle for the car to have picked it up and for the braking system to be activated.
1: So it's an e-bike claim or a cyclist claim either way, turning right across oncoming traffic. And it's the split. As you said, I was slightly surprised the cyclists would decide they had enough power to get in front of a vehicle if one's coming down the road and they're turning right. But you always expect that the vehicle turning right whether or not it's an e-cyclist or a car, is going to bear the greater responsibility, unless there is a lot of evidence to show that the car coming in the opposite direction was speeding or had jumped some traffic lights or anything like that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you're turning across somebody else's car, even if the um, oncoming car has flashed their light like, to suggest to you that it's safe, you're still required to judge uh, that for yourself. I mean, not that we know that happened here, but yeah. So there we are. We're a little tidbit to particularly, uh, a couple of cases we came across. This added our Christmas stocking offering, I guess, as a little catch-up before Christmas, with hopefully some further reporting in the Drago case in the new year and some more
1: substantive matters for us to deal with. Yeah, so all it leaves me to say is Merry Christmas and I look forward to speaking with you with more guests in the new year. Oh, absolutely, Caroline. It's always a pleasure
0: and I very much look forward to doing more episodes with you in 2023. Have a great Christmas and a great year then. Bye. Bye.
1: Thanks for listening. Wheel Life is brought to you by international law firm D.A.C. Beechcroft and Barrister's Chamber's 39 Essex Chambers. Discover more articles, podcasts and webinars over at dacbeechcroft.com and 39essex.com.